Live from Chicago, this is Paul Lisnick with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by... Philip Beverly, the director of the President's Award Program and Assistant Vice Provost at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Professor Ben Epstein, Associate Professor of Political Science at DePaul University, focusing on American politics, political communication, media and politics, and American political culture. Stephanie Hitt, former attorney and division counsel for IBM Corporation, a Republican activist and convention delegate. And Michael Miller, Associate Professor of Economics and Associate Dean for quality and compliance at DePaul University. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Beyond the Bellway. Again, I'm Paul Lisnick in for Bruce this evening. Uh, Happy New Year to you all coming up. I am the political analyst over at WGN-TV, so politics is the world that I live in, but I also like asking questions to people. Tonight, we're doing a year in review. We're going to take a look back at 2019. And candidly, I've asked this panel to join me tonight specifically because They're all pretty reasonable people. (laughs) And I wanted to take a look back at the year we've had so that we can get a a sort of a, a perspective on what the year has been towards the end of our second hour, by the way, we're going to take a perspective and look at what next year might look at and all, look like and all the issues that are going on. You are always welcome to join the conversation as well. Our phone number is 1-800-723-8289. We love your calls from all over the country. All right, let me uh, once again introduce our, our guest to you. Sitting on my left is Professor Ben Epstein. He is, as I said, Associate Professor of Political Science at DePaul University. He focuses on American politics, political communication, media politics, American political culture, and, uh, and a great new book, Ben, yeah. the title is? Uh, the Only Constant is Change. Yeah, came it came out last year. Yeah, thank you so much. So very true. Sitting <laughs> next to you is Philip Beverly. He's the director of the President's Award Program and Assistant Vice Provost at University of Illinois at Chicago. Congratulations on that new world. Thank you very you, much. You, of course, are very familiar to many people for your many years as Associate Professor over at Chicago State University. Good to see you here tonight. Thanks, Paul. Stephanie Hitt is a former attorney and division counsel for IBM Corporation, uh, Republican activist, convention delegate. We won't say which convention. And <laughs> but <laughs> we they're never good parties. Too, right, uh, exactly. Anything to party. And, <laughs> and a, a regular returning tonight as well, Professor Michael Miller, associate professor of economics. We need you for that tonight, Michael. Yes. Yeah. And associate dean for quality and compliance to Paul University. Your job is to make sure I'm in compliance with all of the Bruce Dumont rules. <laughs> right? Lots of reports. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on this, yeah, you do do that, right? It's always a report time. Yeah. So listen, in our first segment tonight, we're going to have different topics in each segment because we've got to look back at the year. And I wanted to talk about what I think one of the biggest stories of the year is. It was the Mueller report and the ongoing impeachment process that has taken its way through the year and will be a 2020 topic. Let's go around and get a sense of this. Uh, ben Epstein, you know, a lot of people say the Mueller report, it was a dud. So Democrats, they just got to figure out a way to get rid of this president. They moved on to something else. Is that what this is about? They've been trying to, as Republicans often say, they've been trying to undo the election of 2016 for three years now. Well, I, I don't think that that's accurate. I think that that if uh, if you were trying to undo that election through impeachment or through some other means, you would have started that 
much earlier, right? The idea that Nancy Pelosi, as the leader of House uh, House Democrats, was very reluctant to uh, really move forward with impeachment um, until really a, a large group of moderate members of, of her party pushed forward uh, suggests that that really didn't it was not the plan all the way along. And also it, it brings huge political risks really to everyone involved, to Trump as president, obviously, but but also to Democrats moving forward. I, I think that there were big risks the last time there was an impeachment. Uh, and, and I don't think that Pelosi and other Democrats really thought this was an absolute way to... Uh, to move forward, they they would have started much earlier if that was if that was really I think the action. So, Professor Philip Beverly, one of the things that um, the Democrats did do they could have had they could have had a million charges uh, in their impeachment articles if they wanted to. They had two, uh, and it was all about obstructing Congress, not even obstructing justice, but obstructing Congress. Uh, and of course, the the, the famous phone call uh, that gets in the way as well. Did the Democrats make a mistake? by not having four, five, six articles. You know, in the Bill Clinton days, there were four articles, and, you know, Congress dumped two of them. I think if, if we look at what their objective is, and, and, and nobody wants to really talk about this, but I think that they were sort of backed into needing to, to follow this path so that they don't, in the long term, not just this Congress with this party, but in the long term, lose credibility as a co-equal branch of government. They have to hold this president accountable. The The president's party isn't obviously going to do that, just like the if it was a Democratic president, the Democratic party is not going to hold that president accountable. So let's, let's understand that that's the reality, the political reality, but that that Congress has to maintain its viability as a co-equal branch of government. The, the easiest way to do that in my mind was simplicity. Two articles – Cut and dry, not a lot of nuance to it. The facts are the facts. The phone call is admitted to by the president and by Mulvaney. They haven't turned over documents that have been subpoenaed. That is obstruction. And that on that part alone, that's what tells me that this is really about we have to remain viable. It's not about getting them out. So, Stephanie, Michael, I know you're chomping at the bit to, to oh, yeah. chime in on this. And, and <laughs> Stephanie, I want to I give you a focus here uh, initially, which is, um, you know, these, these articles get created. And, again, they could have gone in so many di- different directions, and they, and they yeah. didn't. Um, but the president clearly has said he's not going to be complying. No subpoenas, no documents, right. no nothing. No president in history has been that obstructive. Right, but you know, he's also, uh, no president in history has been this harassed as well. Let's dial it back a little bit. They've been trying to impeach this guy since he was elected. Nancy Pelosi, maybe it was a slip, said, we didn't rush this. I've been trying to do this for 22 months. I mean, Nancy admitted to that. So they've been trying to do it. What I find Mm. is interesting is sort of what you started with, and that is, was the Mueller report kind of a dud? And in a way, the Mueller report was kind of one of these uh, split the baby kind of reports and did not find collusion and didn't really make a decision about obstruction issues. In this latest, in this impeachment based on the Ukraine call, there wasn't anything thrown in there that they could have used from the Mueller report, which makes us all wonder, do they just not care? They're just looking for a shark in the water, and they found the one. But at the end of the day, their desperation in trying to find something that they can 
grab onto. I think they sensed that America was tired of two years of Mueller report. They weren't going to retread these obstruction issues. So now they found something new and they went after it. And so I don't know that it was necessarily a simplicity. It was more like, well, where where's the blood in the water? Well, and Professor Michael Miller, look, let me ask you, if the Democrats are handling it the way Stephanie says, Mitch McConnell has said he's working in lockstep with the White House. Mm -hmm. They do need to take an oath to be fair and impartial in this yeah, procedure. Well, Is that fair? To, uh Chuck Su Su uh, well, and the Democrats will Chuck be Schumer, Schumer, the Democrats would be wrong too. But shouldn't was, yes. every senator of basically step in and say, but "We it's are going to listen"? Jury. It's, it's a political process. It's not a jury. And let's remember, it, we started at the Mueller report. Throughout that entire time that he was investigating, I didn't understand what they. It seemed to me obvious that they were unable to uh, come up with any information at all. So his finding was not surprising. What aggravated me was the second part of the Mueller report. One of these cases, like you would do in a, in a uh, you would go after somebody to try to find out if they did something wrong, and you find out, well, they did some things kind of on the edge, and then you make that all public. That's ridiculous. Right. We continue the conversation with Beyond the Beltway when we come back after these words. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Lisnick in for Bruce Dumont. Very Christmassy, very holiday time going on here in our year-end <laughs> review on uh, Beyond the Beltway. So um, we talked about impeachment. Let's put a little more focus in on the Mueller report itself. Um, because, Stephanie hit. some would argue that had uh, Attorney General Bill Barr not come out and given his summary a month before the report came out in which he said, nothing to see here, folks, we might be in a different world today. Well, th that is, but, you know, people say Bill Barr lied when he did that, but in a way... He did sort of precurse the fact that when people did come out and read the report, there wasn't the, the famous smoking gun. There wasn't any, any wild finding in there. And then Mueller, in his own testimony, really couldn't bring forward anything else, any more, anything compelling um, that would just, you know, revitalize or, or kickstart maybe for, you know, that impeachment investigation or whatever. So I think in a way... I don't know that Bill Barr was quite that influential by saying there's nothing here. Everybody was looking for something there. But at the end of the day, it turned out there really wasn't much. Now, i got to go to Ben Epstein on that because you've written a book about communication and mm -hmm. the power of media. We're going to talk about media later specifically. But you heard what Stephanie said. Bill Barr, he didn't impact that. Well, I think that there was, there was uh, you know, this two-year investigation. People were waiting and waiting and waiting. And what they finally got was was Bill Barr's nice summary. And they had that summary for almost a month. And uh, people were ready for some sort of conclusion. I think a lot of people, as Stephanie said before, were, were tired of this long wait. Yeah. And, and there was this brief summary that had a, mm. an answer or said what was what what Bill Barr interpreted as the 
the findings. And then we received the redacted version, 400 some odd pages of something. And most people didn't read that. Uh, most people were able to pull some of the highlights or read some of the highlights from news reports. And then they were they couldn't go from there. But Bill Barr's summary was exactly that. It was a very small, very quick summary. Um, and, and it was very effective because that's what people were sitting with for three or four weeks. Uh, the news cycle moves much much quicker than that. Before we saw the 440 pages. Absolutely. By the way, uh, for folks uh, listening and watching us, uh, you can join our conversation at 1-800-723-8289. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Michael, uh, you know, the Mueller did find there was no collusion. He did find right. that. Yes. But he did find 10 instances of instruction. He just said he was powerless to do anything about it. But the president built but, it up but as there was no, no crime. See, that's the odd thing. I found that you almost ran that red light seven times. You don't make that kind of thing public, but he made it public. The part of the report that was so damning. And the fact that— Because it, without it, collusion, you can't have <clears throat> obstruction? Right. I mean, well, without—his his job was to find, was there Russian collusion with the Trump administration? Not was there Russian interference? Of course there was. But the idea that you would then uh, put out all this dirty laundry— where you really don't have any proof. You just have all this innuendo. And the fact that it didn't become part of the impeachment, you talked about all these different directions they could have gone. Nonsense. I sat here on the, uh, you know, as a panelist many times over the past couple of years. It was going to be bribery. It was going to be emoluments. It was going to be the 25th Amendment. All of these things have come and they've gone, and they end up with two things which are not crimes. Well, Philip, it goes back to what you were talking about, but you heard Michael. No, no crime, no obstruction. Yeah, I would. I would just want to remind us in the in the duration of the Mueller investigation, mm-hmm. the number of indictments and convictions. Completely so, unrelated, though, to the tangential. Uh, they were all and tangential. As as related to the Mueller investigation, they were process crimes. They weren't necessarily okay, related so, to actual collusion. Involving so, some things which happened years when, before. When I read the charge that the attorney general at the time, gave to Mueller to initiate it, the word collusion is never mentioned in that charge. Because that's not a crime either, actually. So they're not... That there's no collusion is a red herring. And I wish we would just sort of Mm. admit that and say, okay, there's no collusion and there's no skipping down the lane either. What does that have to do with what was... He was charged to investigate. He was charged to investigate specific instances. He found those things and said, I'm done here because I have to follow DOJ rules because I'm an employee of DOJ and I can't go beyond this point. But there's there's an entity that can go beyond this point, and that's Congress. So Congress, do your job. Because I'm done. Which which they didn't, which is really surprising. But which they didn't or which they did? Yeah, which, they which, did not. Do. Which they, they did, right? I mean, this is, well, they, they, I mean, that's, he was essentially saying that because of the, this this uh, DOJ restriction, right? What what the what Congress can do is take this a step further. Congress did do that, right? They they did do that, but they didn't do that immediately, right? It suggests, and this goes. Are back you saying to, you're talking about impeachment? Yeah, I am. I mean, that's but what, none of the impeachment has to do with that. Have report. anything to do with that's the findings it has to do in the with Mueller obstruction report. of Congress? That's that's which is the nonsense. articles are completely new and different. The, the, the Mueller the, the Mueller report could never have happened, and they would still be you know whatever and, and so, happened on the Ukrainian call. That's the basis. They did not. That's what I find surprising is they didn't use any of those hints Anything. of obstruction. This None of the a, things that he hinted at in the second part. Ben, probably a strategic yeah. point by 
Nancy Pelosi, right? Well, I think she felt that right. had no that didn't have any staying power. There was a lot of there was a lot of internal debate about thought. whether to do that. And and the reason why Democrats chose not to was mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't matter how many charges come up. Uh, it was much more politically effective to have a unified support passing two of these. Um, and, and so it was a political calculus because, as Mike said, yeah. this, is a, this is a political process. Yeah. Um, it is. But it is. And it's Somebody, political uh, theater. Yeah. And <laughs> let's just acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah. But I have uh, with me are two political science people and a lawyer. And I, when I'm, I'm, not th- I'm neither of those. So when I try to figure out something like impeachment, I turn to people I think I can trust and people who protect civil liberties. Now, you know where I may be going with it. It's Alan Dershowitz. And Dershowitz has convinced me he and I disagreed on Clinton because there were crimes. He just said they weren't high enough to be right. impeachment. But there were clearly crimes. He says there's no crimes here. And, you, and it has to be high crimes and misdemeanors. That's what I always thought. This idea that Gerald Ford said this is a political process, I think it was a horrible thing to say. You cannot overturn an election unless there are high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, and lawyers, I'm convinced that, that uh, you know, Dershowitz makes a very sound argument. And, and Stephanie and I, as the lawyers in this group, yeah. would say, if you hire a lawyer, worse yet, I teach it. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you hire a lawyer, um, the truth is they can take whatever position that, that you want them right. to take. Uh, and, uh, but let's, you know, let's involve some of the listeners who are, who are watching us. Okay. We've got Alan. Uh, he's joining us from Chicago. He's listening on WCGO. <laughs> and uh, Alan... Your belief, uh, there's a critical issue here about um, checks and balances in the government. Well, I just want to start with um, the Mueller report, I think, was worth the effort because some facts did come to light. Like there were uh, 250 contacts between the Trump campaign and the Russian operatives, 32 in-person meetings. Uh, There were 10 cases of uh, obstruction of justice. So those matter. I'd like to... I think it's good to have two parties with a certain power because you can't have a rubber stamp government. If you have a rubber stamp government, you're just, uh, you know, you might as well jump off a cliff somewhere. It's called Russia. Yeah, but <laughs> by, the so, yeah. by the way, Alan, let me just ask you, is you're, you're, I, I'm getting the sense of it that you, do you have a position as to whether the president has done what he's accused of doing or is that really not, is that an aside from your point? Well, you're debating credibility here. <laughs> you think there's a secret? Somebody has a subordinate agenda, so therefore they manufacture facts to uh, go after their enemy. And I think credibility is being on trial here, and you have to judge the source because you got to judge what facts are just you know blown out of the air and what facts are real. And the facts of attacking democracy and the facts attacking people in power. <clears throat> Well, you, of course, you got to judge their credibility, but still, uh, who's to say? All right. Who's Al- to say who has, who has credibility nowadays? All right. Thank you, no. Alan. Thank you. I want to go to Stephanie for a response yeah. to that. I need a lawyer response here because, really, the, one of the points Alan is making, when you look at the checks and balances, this will go to the Supreme Court. And we will have the Supreme Court rule, actually, in 2020, about whether the president has to turn over tax returns, tax the whole returns. issue of the obstruction. All this stuff makes its right. way to the courts. Forget about President Trump. What is your sense, knowing the way that you lean on this issue, of what this says about checks and balances going forward? Because if there was a Democratic president, and there will be one day, I don't think Republicans would be going, this works for me. Well, you know, it's interesting because when it does come to checks and balances, I think what a court should do is respect the, the authority that each section of the government has to protect their own information. So I think what we're going to see is that if... An executive wants to claim executive privilege. 
that veil is not going to be pierced by another branch. The Equal branch. Of course, the president hasn't claimed executive privilege. He hasn't claimed privilege. that, but that, that's one of the issues that's going to be coming up with some of these witnesses yeah. and the and the, the 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 tax documents. I mean, in doing that, they're going to look at the purpose for these. And this gets into a very jurisprudential question, and that is what we're seeing is a lot of these requests are not because there is something specific, a crime that they have found, and they're going and getting specific evidence. What they're doing is they're asking the, for these things so they can see if there is a crime. And from a very ju- jurisprudential perspective, that is very troubling. I think a lot of people have a hard time with that, is why is one branch going into another branch when they don't even have specific reasons or specific well, it's information? Been, it's, it's called oversight, right? That's what Congress that's, says. They've got a duty. That, that's exactly right. And and not only is it oversight, mm. but it's it's built in. I mean, if we go back to the, the framers, right? The James Madison, uh, you know, Federalist 10 talks about ambition will be used to counter ambition, right? The building in checks and balances as a way to not, not just to counter each, each branch, but to say that each branch is really going to, as Stephanie said, protect their own, right, and go after right. it. And so, and so while, while the politics and the times change, um, th- this, this process was built in, and the definitions of high crimes, uh, th- these are, have been debated and were, were unfortunately very vague, right? And so how they've been used and only been used a couple of times is, I, is really a... But I think, can you, but, well, can you explain I think something we can to say, me, again, as a yeah. non-expert here? There's something called the IRS, as far as I know, all of his tax returns have been accepted, right? And therefore, and where's the issue? Where and but audited and done over says, and over. There's a law that says that the Congress has access the to that. Is not working no, for does. everybody. Yeah, it does. It there's have access a, to everything. It has what access to his. It doesn't say in the law. And yeah, if I understand the Supreme Court's sort of precedent, they have to go by. Legislative intent. It is true that yes. they have to do that. We'll talk about what happens when we come back. You're watching Beyond the Belt. Is so that a good transition for us to not talk working about? For everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans. See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. We are having a year in review discussion. We're going to look ahead as well. I'm Paul Lesnick from WGN-TV. Let me reintroduce my guest to you. Uh, actually, I'll have you reintroduce yourself. Why not? Ben Epstein, you're a professor at DePaul. Tell us something fun about you. <laughs> uh, associate professor of political science. Uh, been uh, at DePaul for eight years. Uh, uh, teach classes on media and politics and, um, and uh, American political culture, racial and ethnic politics. And um, having a great time being here. And we're going to talk about the media specifically as the show goes on. Philip Beverly, as I said, you've, for many years we, we knew you as the guy who was a professor of poli-sci and many other things at Chicago State University, but you have since uh, for many months now been wearing a new hat over at UIC. Congratulations. Thank talk you. about how fun that is. Um, 
my faculty colleagues think I've gone over to the dark side, (laughs) being in administration. (laughs) Um, And the, the redeeming part of the job, actually, is I get to teach in the Honors College there which is just a joy. Um, the teaching is what I think keeps me sane. And Stephanie, you graduated with honors, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> see, that was, a, that was just a bridge yeah. over. <laughs> to, to, right? That's right. Going, I could have said that. Anyway, so yeah. a, a former attorney with IBM and stuff, but, but obviously even though you, you know, you, you're a political act, act, uh, activist on the Republican side, but you have to be informed, I guess as a lawyer myself, you, that has to inform you every time we have these conversations. You can't put that lawyer stuff aside. No, you can't. In fact, I find my negotiation skills with four teenagers have really gone. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you. But, you know, it's interesting because I start, I, I don't often talk about this, but I started my legal career by working for Rudy Giuliani in the U.S. Attorney's Office, which, the next hour. which <laughs> I was going to say, um, I have very interesting views on that. And um, But what I have found um, as an attorney living in a very, very sort of liberal, as a conservative person, I've, I've quite enjoyed these last few years being um, sort of a lone conservative voice and being willing to shake things up a little bit in my neighborhood. So, um, so that's that's the, the attorney in me. Yeah. Has Rudy ever butt dialed you? By the way, I'm just curious. <laughs> no, but I do. I, off off the air, I have a funny story. That, yeah. You see, we get to do stuff yes. when you're not watching. Right. <laughs> Michael Miller, I'm going to bridge our next topic with you yeah, because sure. of your background. Because I want to talk about the state of the economy in the United States. You are indeed a professor of economics, yep. and um, but but with a, a bit of a conservative bent to it. So, are there two sides to the economics issue? Uh, no, I'm an economist first. Very first time. I was on with Bruce. I wrote, I called him and I said, I'm an economist first and I'm a Republican second. And he said, that's fine. That's exactly what I uh, want to hear. So what I do is I go where the literature shows me. And uh, I'm not a big fan of forecasting, for example, because forecasting is, we do it so poorly. It's such a You're not predicting recessions coming <laughs> yeah. up or no, anything. No, like nobody, no one really can. So. <laughs> and Philip has it exactly right that I, I'm an administrator as well, uh, but I get to teach and teaching is a natural high. And teaching in the economic way of thinking happened to come from my discipline, which I adore. It is just it, it's 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 a joy to go into class every day and to see. I hope open minds to talk about it. One thing, and we uh, again remind our, our viewers and our listeners of our phone number, 800-723-8289. Be sure you call in. Numbers on your screen for those of you watching uh, us uh, uh, live. And and so uh, let me come to you guys because the economy is good, folks. It's very good. And many would say, if the economy is good, no matter what else is going on, no matter what Democrats think, mm. the president's in pretty good shape to be reelected. Uh, it certainly, it, it certainly helps. Uh, I mean, uh, unemployment rate is very low. Stock market is very high. Uh, the the reality is that, I mean, very uh, relatively small numbers of people are invested in the stock market. That's not the economy, and mm-hmm. so we can't point to that. Uh, it's a it's a good indicator, right? It's a good indicator of a lot of things. But uh, unemployment being low is is really is really important too. Wages, though, are are probably something that you want to think about uh, along those lines, uh, where they are, and they've been increasing, uh, not increasing as high as some would like, and and the amount of uh, financial insecurity is still very very high in the country, but. Many indicators for the uh, economy have slowly continued to 
be very good for really the last decade. It's been a very slow, continual growth. And Stephanie, Republicans used to care a lot about deficits, right. and 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 with the you know blame it on what you yeah, want, I tax cuts. Not no. anymore. Until, until <laughs> George Bush. And I think well, yeah. Is, let's just say that the tax cut, based on the you correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. You're the economist, right. but apparently it has taken our that's been one factor taking our our um, uh, deficit to to two trillion dollars. No, no, uh, just under a trillion. Just under a trillion. Well, yeah. well it's, it, yeah. the projections seem to be Oh, that it, it could be. Yeah. But okay. what matters is the percent of GDP, not the size of the mm. number of dollars. Okay. We're going to take your class tomorrow. Okay. But <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> the percentage okay. of GDP of the deficit. Republicans were always upset about that. Well, and the idea behind tax cuts is that there is this idea, now you could correct me, but this general idea that um, although you're lowering the tax rate, you're increasing economic activity that is taxable, which in the end actually produces greater tax revenue. That's the intention. And that was the, that's the idea. And so that is that sort of Republican idea of that's how we handle the d deficit. It's not that we're not, you know, we're taking away money that's mm -hmm. going into the government, but we're actually increasing private economic taxable activity, which in the end it increases when you lower the taxes, and in the end, there's just more of it. Even though we tax it less, there's so much more of it, it will bring in more money. And that's sort of the idea that's what the behind the, the is, deficit. Is that, is that what's happened? Well, well we also, have been increasing I, spending. I, I mean, I just kind of... There has been more revenue. Spending we, we have more of a spending problem than we have a yeah. revenue problem. And part of the intention it, was the to increase pro productivity by... Uh, deepening capital expenditures. And that hasn't happened as much as we want, but it has occurred. Is the spending problem partially a result of the amount of the budget that's dedicated toward interest on the debt? No, that's actually because interest rates are so very low. It's, it's Social Security and Medicare. That's what's going to kill us. It is. So I'm going to switch topics. And I'm going to yeah. stay with you on this, Philip, because the DACA decision comes down uh, in mm -hmm. 2020 from the Supreme Court. Immigration was President Trump's number one issue at the beginning of his term. It's always remained there. The question is, and a lot of a lot of people angry about about some of those decisions on the Democratic side, but the economy is good. So I'm not switching topics as much as I'm bridging topics. With a strong economy, if the Supreme Court gets rid of DACA, if they stand behind the president and the president's immigration policies continue to remain as tough and tight as they are, does that work for him or against him? Wow. I, it, it's always going to work for him in his base. And I want to remind people that in 2016, nine million more people voted against him than voted for him in the popular vote. Yes, I understand the Electoral College. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> I, I understand, uh, yeah, the political science thing. And the thing is, nine million more people voted against him. So in his base, immigration's always going to be, a, it's, it's like a, an athlete that has a go-to move. That's going to be his, his go-to move. I, I get that. I would expect him to have a go-to, right? The, the challenge, though, is... Is the economy going to be enough? Because I would expect whoever the, the, the Democrat who gets nominated by the party is probably going to sound really Reagan-esque, 1980. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Oh, you are. And the, it won't be around the economics of better off. Will you be better off, Michael, if with the, I'm going to bridge health care into this as well, because the president who promises that we're going to have the greatest health care, best you've ever seen, but we haven't seen a plan from Republicans yet no. to replace Obamacare. And by the way, as the lawyer and yeah. Stephanie knows, the Trump administration's argument before the courts are 
that pre-existing conditions should not be protected uh, as part of the effort to get rid of. So, so how do we get that? Will never fly. Yeah. That that will be protected well, it's in the courts. Yeah. But it's also yeah. the, my point. Yeah. Is it's also a very right. hot political right. issue. Yeah. yeah, it's a hot political. It, it it certainly could cost the president. But here, it, I, I'm a little shocked or surprised by the DACA discussion. I'm in favor of DACA. I'm just not in favor of how it was done. It cannot be done through an executive order. It should be done through Congress passing laws. The president, whom I did not vote for, the president offered to make whole three, what, how many millions of people? Three, uh, All the DACAs million, yeah. plus a whole bunch of others. Did the Democrats step up and say, okay, we'll give you some money for the wall? And so, no, they did nothing. This is not something that is as, squarely on the, on the shoulders as, of As of he Trump. has to, to cater to his base, the Democratic leadership has to cater to theirs. Well, I'm part and of the Republican base, and, and I'll tell you, base, I'm a big fan of legal immigration. I just want to control DACA, the border. I don't, I don't, I don't know many that. people Maybe who are fans of illegal immigration. Oh, I don't know. Where, where does that come oh, from? And, and it's it's coming the from the Democratic people running for president. On DACA. They, they haven't done any anything. They want to decriminalize it. They want, they want open borders. Think I've of what never heard these... a candidate say they want the open same. borders. Oh, come on, come on. And I'm having and a memory that actually Democrats did approach the president with a, a DACA proposal and money for the wall, but he didn't accept it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, things changed. Like, yeah, there's there there have been there have been negotiations on on both sides. The idea, though, to to argue that uh, that all Democrats support open borders is I didn't just, say all. The Democrats, Democrats as a brand, uh, support uh, open borders is it's it's a really uh, effective talking point, but it's not it's not accurate. Not not only is it not accurate, but it's not representative of the politics. If you look at every single border district, uh, they're all represented by Democratic representatives right now, which suggests that if we just talk about the actual border, right, the people who are affected by that and who are who are more likely to act on that and 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 vote based on immigration issues. Are, are shown generally to be people who live farther away from the southern border. The people who live close to the southern border know what border issues are and have always lived there. They also have been voting for Democrats. And so the idea that, uh, that, that this idea of open borders is, is something that Democrats as a brand want or don't understand about immigration or don't understand about threats that are there, um, I, I think that that is, has been an effective talking point, but, mm, but is, 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 um, is inaccurate. Okay, Stephanie, if, if do, if, let me ask you, if immigration or, or health care, those two issues, right. are either of those problematic for the president in 2020 when he takes on an opponent? Because I'm going to give him, as we sit here now, that the economy is probably going to remain strong. I don't yeah. I don't think so. And partly because when we look back at what what's hurting us in the economy, it's the entitlements. It's Social Security, Medicare, things like that. One of the things the president has done, I think, fairly effectively with his base is said those things, if we have open borders, if we don't close the border, if we don't have stricter rules on legal, those things are going to just skyrocket. Those obligations are going to end. When we listen to, and I don't want to jump ahead, but when we listen to Democrats talking about the things they want to do for illegal immigrants, then as a Republican, all I can say is, so we already have trouble with health care. Now we're going to give it free? And so what we ought to do now taxes? is turn to the Democratic field and see who might be their, their person. We'll find out when we come back. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. 
Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. We're back on Beyond the Beltway, and we're going to take a look now at the 2020 election, all this conversation about what the pre- Trump presidency has meant. What do Democrats have to offer in 2020? Uh, let me start with the folks who are thinking a lot about the Democrats and, and who they might offer. Uh, ben Epstein, the progressives in the party, man, they want Bernie Sanders. They want Elizabeth Warren. They don't want the same old, same old, or even normalcy. What are the odds that brings a victory? Uh, against Trump yes, in, yes. In, uh, in November? I, it's... You know, it's tough to, uh, taking uh, a word from the economist over here that pr- projections are, can be dangerous, right? Yeah. Um, I think that, that a, a more moderate candidate is more appealing to more of America. I mean, I think that that's, that's a general rule. Um, but it depends who that candidate is. Uh, you, you need to not only uh, have policies that are interesting, but you need to be a candidate that can excite people, get people out to, uh, to actually turn out. And so there's a lot going on there. Uh, Sanders and Warren, as the progressives in that lane, um, can both can do that to certain segments. They have not shown that they can do that across the board uh, to this point. But, uh, but they both offer uh, some, some exciting new ideas uh, that, are, that are at least new to some people. So, Phil mm-hmm. Beverly, we don't even have to waste time talking about the fact that Joe Biden is the guy that most people think is the moderates that return the country to normal. That's what Democrats say. But what I really want to ask you about uh, are Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, because they're also fighting for that moderate ground. Do they have a chance against President Trump? Pete Buttigieg, n- no, not really. I think he's, I think he's auditioning for a later sort of main mm-hmm. role. But yep. he's doing well in and, doing and so. And he is he has yeah, actually doing well. Um, I would say if we look back to 2004, right before um, John Kerry got in the race, Howard Dean was out in front. Yeah. And then he faded. So at this point in how this is going, I, again, projections are, I think, a little premature. Stephanie, any, any chance of a comeback kid in terms of uh, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard? I mean, we haven't... No, I don't, I don't see that happening at all. And I think, I, I, you know, Ben was sort of hitting it, and that is, you know, you, you have to be... You, you can't just be milk toast. You have to, you know, you have to be able to appeal. I know there are people that are exciting that base, but what's really interesting about this particular primary is that what works to excite the Democrats, and I think we all see this, will not work to excite most of Americans, Let, if that I can, middle. If I can add, uh, just, just um, add on to that, though, is that that's, if, if there's anything that Trump has shown is that you don't have to try to win over everyone. That's right. right. And so you can what, win with a minority. What, what Trump, what Trump okay. has done, not only to win with a minority of votes, but, but Trump, I mean, Trump's strategy during his campaign and since, and it's been a remarkable, in my view, is that he has not really tried to speak to new people, but he's done a remarkable job of locking in those people who are, who are for him. And so yeah. the idea of, of governing everyone or trying to win over everyone in the next, in the next election, he has not done that well, much. I'm going to come to Mike Miller, though, because I want to get all the candidates out. You're our economist, so I wanted to give the sure. money people to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Yang, Steyer, yeah. Bloomberg, billionaires all. Oh, no, they're, they're, they don't have the common appeal. 
And the two or three that do are so far, like you said, Stephanie, they're so far to the left, or they've placed themselves so far to the left. I saw what I thought was a pretty fair representation of Elizabeth Warren, for example, her wealth tax, preposterous idea, the uh, income tax that she's going to raise, the spending she's going to do, what she's going to do with regard to climate and so forth, the cost, not just uh, whether it's good or bad. Uh, Bernie Sanders is essentially a socialist. I cannot believe for a second that the United States is going to elect a socialist to be president, especially a man who has essentially done nothing. There's and had no a heart attack. There, he, 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 oh. he's, he's, he's come done, back. His health, he's yeah, done his, his health is fine on that. Let me. Uh, yeah. By the way, I want to bring a caller in if I can here. David is calling in from San Francisco. Uh, David, I know you want to talk about uh, health care and environmental pollution, but if you can uh, tell us how that relates to your thoughts about the 2020 Democratic side, if you would. Hey, David. Yeah, well, how are you? I, um, it cracks me up. I'd, I'd sink it uh, right to the uh, previous uh, d- uh, discussion where uh, endless money is being spent on the defense of the nation, you know, the military budget. And, in fact, under Trump, I, I think when, when Obama left, it was at $740 billion, And now it's, uh, it's $1.4 trillion. So Trump has basically doubled the national debt in three years. So, and we're spending endless amounts of money defending the country with weapons, but we're not uh, helping our, our citizens escape the, the poisoning of America through pollution. So if pollution is causing cancers and uh, the health care budget is going to be slashed, are they trying to kill us by over-polluting? The number of deaths caused by the climate is at all-time worldwide lows. We're not no, polluting ourselves in any lie. way. Utter lie. That's not a lie. I'm sorry. Those are the numbers. Hundreds of thousands are dying already. What happened down course, in the Virgin people, Islands and Puerto Rico in the last couple of hurricanes? There is, the, the number of hurricanes is down. The cyclonic activity in the world is yeah. down. Those are not lies. I'm sorry, they're they're not lies. But the intensity of the the storms is up. up. No, there's fewer Category 3, 4, and 5 have hit the U.S. in the past five years than any period in the the past hundred years. This is a globe. We We did the same globe here. You touched on one topic, and that is defense spending. Well, that's what government does. Exactly. I was going to say exactly that point. If you ask Americans what the government is for, their number one job is to keep us safe and to protect us from all adversaries, foreign and domestic. Safe from polluters. And but here's here's the thing about defense spending, though. We're spending on on to fight the last war. Oh, that, the next no, that, conflict no, that could be to upgrade I, I our military. That could be the point. We are also, we're also spending money absolutely. to upgrade a very, very you know ancient, worn out military, yeah, and that's important too. Spending money well, to protect Japan and to protect Germany and to protect France straight years, right. and yeah. we're, we're without fight. any. And that relief. money is going. Trump to, made a very good well, point. Trump actually wants to withdraw us from a lot. I would think that'd be something you like. Should, you feel like we are bogged down. We need down. to talk more about he's that. Been ta- he's been trying to do that. The good news is we will talk more about this because we have another hour. Those of you watching us on television, this will be a wrap of the show. Those of us who are watching online or listening on, on your radios, uh, we're, we'll be back for another ha- another hour. Uh, and uh, we've got lots more to talk about, including international issues. But before we do leave you this hour, I do want to remind you of Bruce's GoFundMe campaign. It covers the cost of satellite delivery of this program in 2020. It's an important thing if you like listening to Beyond the Beltway. You obviously do. That's why you're with us. Go to the GoFundMe page. Look up. 
Beyond the Beltway to make your donations. You see it on your screen there. Bruce appreciates everybody who helps out and can give up even just a little bit of money. I know I offered a little bit to try and help. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. And welcome back to Hour 2 of Beyond the Beltway. I am Paul Listick from WGN-TV. I am sitting in for Bruce Dumont this week as we do a year in review. Uh, we've talked about a lot, but there's a lot more to talk about. Let me reintroduce my distinguished panel to you. Joining us from DePaul University is Professor Ben Epstein. Uh, he is um, not only from there, but but in his work on American politics and political communication, but media is going to come into play here yeah. in just a moment, Ben. And uh, also joining us to my left is Philip Beverly, the director of the President's Award Program, Assistant Vice 
vice provost at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And sitting to my right is Stephanie Hitt, former attorney and division counsel for IBM Corporation. They're big. And <laughs> also an activist at <laughs> convention. A little big. Delegate. I actually use their hotel rate. It gets me cheaper rates everywhere I go. <laughs> Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. And also Professor Michael Miller, associate professor of economics, associate dean for quality and compliance at DePaul University, making sure we all comply with what we're doing. Look, we've been talking about the president's uh, policies and what's going on under him and, and Mueller and impeachment and the Democrats and who they offer. But Ben Epstein, you've written a book essentially on the power of the media. And I don't know how you talk about any of this without focusing in on the role of the media and really how the media has been shaped, especially by this president. This is not your father's media anymore. No, no. Times uh, have definitely changed, right? The the goal of politicians is, you know, is similar. You want to reach people. You want to reach a lot of people. You want to have them support your views. You want to eventually get them to turn out to vote. Um, but how you're doing that is very different today. And and uh, President Trump is very, very effective at at not only using particular areas. Twitter is a, is a focus. I think he's actually much better at Facebook, even though we don't talk about it as much. But he's most effective at directing attention where he wants it to go or away from where he doesn't want it to go. And uh, and he's been effective at doing that since he was uh, telling people they were fired. Right. So like the idea is that he knows media. He knows social media. Um, I don't think he's particularly uh, he's as sophisticated playing 3D chess as as some people uh, suggest, um, but I do think that he's very very effective at directing attention where he wants it to go, and 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 everyone else is reacting to that. Uh, and let me once again enjoy uh, invite our viewers and the listeners to join in at one eight hundred seven two three eight two eight nine. Please uh, join us, especially on this media conversation. I'm going to pop over to you, Professor Mike Miller, because uh, you have thoughts about the media. Your view is it's they're really in, not seen very positively these days. No, and, and my problem is essentially that um, journalism is a noble profession, but the journalist is supposed to tell the truth, who, what, when, where, why, and how, and so forth. You are perfectly permitted to take a position. You just aren't allowed to lie to my face and say, oh, I'm playing it right down the middle, but here I'm going to talk only about all the foibles of Donald Trump, and 95% of the news is going to be anti-Trump, but I'm playing it down the middle. I just wish that people would be much more direct and tell me, okay, I'm biased, and I'm going to let this bias affect what I tell you. What also has upset me is that these, these groups that have been telling us that they're, they're playing it down the middle, such as CNN and others, they have lied to us over the past couple of years, telling us things which we I, – I thought I knew that the Mueller thing was going to come out the way it did. I couldn't believe how little curiosity their reporters had as to what was going on. And then when it finally came out that they were completely full of hooey, that they were wrong, they should have been lining up telling us we were wrong and we're going to go back and we're going to fix everything that we reported to you that was wrong. So I think the media is broken. I have no problem. Again, I, I have no problem with biased media. One quick follow-up. Freedom just, of speech is wonderful. Whatever. I'm just curious because I, so I don't ask yeah. you. Somebody else will. Is Fox News more accurate in their reporting? Well, if you look at the news part – like Brett Baer and so forth, they're the quite day. good. They're down the middle. But if you look at the commentators, uh, Tucker Carlson and people like that, of course they're going to be on the right. It's just that CNN tells us that people who are clearly on the left reporting things tell us that they are journalists or they're, they're newscasters. They're not newscasters. Don't lie to me. I'm not stupid. Let me Again, I, and I have no problem with bias. I have no problem with it. Just don't tell me you're not biased when you're clearly lying 
to my face. Bill Beverly, I'll pop over to you. One of the things, I watch all the channels at night. I mean, part of what I do is I want to know what everybody's hearing and what they're saying. And what I will say is, aside from what side of the aisle you're on, for the time that I spend watching MSNBC and I flip over to Fox News, you're on two different planets. Mm-hmm. Two entirely different planets. And I get why um, Trump would be watching Fox News, because he's excoriated on, mm-hmm. on MSNBC. To me, in a way that and there have been, uh, don't get me wrong, I like Rachel Maddow, I like Lawrence O'Donnell. They can be entertaining. They're not going to influence me to decide something. The The one word that I would take out of Mike's description of, of journalists, you don't have to tell me the why of something. I'll figure that out. You just need to give me the facts. I'll think oh, that would through, be oh, I'll think yeah. through the, I love the, it. what the facts are. It's yeah. like I don't watch the, the, the State of the Union, for example, Democrat or Republican, I don't watch that on the network. I watch it on C-SPAN because they essentially aim a camera down at the well. There you go. And they don't have some people telling me what I just heard on the right or the left. Now, maybe I'm an anomaly in that regard. And maybe the majority of the American people need to be told what they heard isn't what they heard. I don't know. That's just not where I go. Stephanie, so I would, I would want and, the yeah. left to, to sort of dial down some of the vitriol mm. and this, this sort of visceral hatred of the guy. I have, too, I have yes. a professional dislike of Donald Trump because he doesn't know how to govern, in my estimation. I don't care about his policies. I expect them to be on the right because he's a Republican. So I'm not, I'm not anxious about that. I'm anxious that he doesn't know how to govern. Stephanie, when I'm watching these shows at night and I'm hearing Philip, if Philip were on one of the shows, he would make the points that he would make. But generally, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whenever they have panels, and this one will be a CNN point, it may be that the anchors no longer have an objective appearance, but the panels always seem to have a balance of Democrats and Republicans on on both sides. Does that matter? For the most part, uh, I think some of it is illusory because I would say – like I, I'll flip over to you know the MSNBC or the NBC, and I will tell you, whoever they put forward as, and maybe I, this is my bias. When I see who they've put forward as the Republican spokesperson, my first thought is that's not a real Republican. So they tend to pick people that are willing to well, be made full. Well, yeah, yeah. They, I mean they, they're not necessarily representing that position very well. Mm-hmm. So what I find <clears throat> is that some of these stations tend to put weaker people yeah. um, on the other side so that they don't look as good. I will say there are some people that feel that Fox may do the same thing. I'm always surprised, though, at how strong um, how many strong Democrats they do put on on the other side of the panel. But I, I want to sort of go back for a second and say one of the, and a point that Ben was making earlier. One of the things that has been quote the genius, maybe not the three chess ahead, three chess moves ahead <laughs> genius of Donald Trump is he has coined something that is now now standard fare, and that fake is news. fake news. Exactly. If you wanted to know, I would say the mm-hmm. the phrase of the decade is fake news, and he has cast he has cast um, dispersion on 
on the media in a way that no candidate I'm ever so, has. I'm so glad you brought it up. I, in, in the brief time before we go to break, uh, this is an opportunity for a PSA for everyone listening, which is that fake news is something he's used very effectively. And regardless of your politics, fake news is a terrible term. We should all eliminate it because it doesn't actually have a single meaning, right? It's used all over the place for but all these different things. It it's doesn't been, matter. It's been very yeah. effective politically, right? But if we think about misinformation or disinformation, which are different and also affect how we consume information and the different vocabulary that, that we're yeah. getting from the right and the left. It's all, right. uh, it's all important. We're going to pick up on this and talk about international issues when we come back to Beyond the Beltway. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at GoodmanTheater.org. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, Paul Lisnikin for Bruce Dumont. I'm from WGN-TV. Having a great conversation with our panelists this morning. Uh, by the way, you can also chime in on uh, social media as well. We check all of those. And uh, Ben Epstein, I will tell you that on YouTube chat, uh, somebody made a comment talking about how reasonable you were. I um, I'll, I'll take I'll take that. I'll I confirm that. that. I confirm that, that it was not your mother. So that. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah. Thanks, mom. So yeah. we said, hey, uh, Mike Miller, I want to come yes. to you because uh, I want to turn to to trade. We're going to go a little more international sure. uh, in this next period and and um, trade issues. You know, the, the president tells us that with all the trade deals, you know, with China and other tariffs and things, um, we're not paying for it. China pays no, for it. It doesn't. So I, I, that's not true, is it? No. Um, there's several ways to pay for it. One, if the price falls from the Chinese, then that, that subsidizes it. If the value of the currency changes, that could subsidize it. But generally speaking, the uh, and I've seen some data that show that a majority of the tax is being paid by the American people, and the pain is being felt by the farmers. So if there is one place in the economy where there is some, some hurt, it's actually right here in Illinois with soybean farmers and others. There's one interesting thing about it, that one of the reasons I didn't vote for Trump the first time by was because of his trade policy. Uh, I'm more of a free trade person, but his trade policy, I perceive it, is not as much economic as it is political, because it is clear that the Chinese are simply bad actors when it comes to trade. They cheat. They steal. And no one's been able to crack that nut. One way would be to take them to the WTO and sue them, it, it, and, but it, it takes forever and who knows. Years. It's just, it, it's ridiculous. So he decided to play hardball. I think it was a unilateral tar tariffs are a, a stupid thing. We are definitely paying a price for this. But with that said, there is a chance that politically he will win and get a trade deal with China, which was better than what we had going in. And in the long run, the long-run benefits will outweigh the short-run costs. That's what I'm hoping will be the case. Watchers who want to join in, you can call us at 800-723-8289. Ben, do people really understand all this trade stuff? I mean, unless it impacts their their pocketbooks, and even farmers, while it does impact them, 
so many studies show they actually still support them even though they're hurting oh, because yeah, they're is, getting subsidized. No, this is going to be my, my follow up to Mike. Actually, just a question for him. I mean, the, there was a recent study that came out from um, economists, I think, at the Fed that showed that in the manufact the manufacturing effect has been net negative mm -hmm. from these that it has it, and and that was not regarding agriculture. Agriculture that's they, correct. They spent uh, eighteen billion in in direct aid, which is over. I, I was surprised to see over twice as much as the auto bailouts. If we sort of have perspective right. but they were um, condemned by and the so, right so i'm curious whether or not I, I think people feel it in their individual pocketbooks to answer your question and so um mike suggested that this was a political strategy and i i i think this could be individually political vulnerability for him for mm -hmm. some people that oh, supported be. him before but i'm curious mike what you think because individually for farmers individually for yes. people working in that manufacturing uh area it seems to have been a net negative so far yeah, well, one thing you do, even when you have free trade, is that sometimes industries will be destroyed by that, right? So what you do is you subsidize those people to help them retrain and do something else. What has happened here is the farmers have taken the biggest hit, manufacturing a second, but the farmers have been aided. There has been a whole bunch of money flowing from the government to the farmers to keep them whole, so to speak, until this is all and, over. And politically supportive, right? And that gives them political support. That is, that's absolutely the yeah. case. And so Stephanie, that, let, let, me, let yeah. me come to you, I know, and I'll, yeah. I want you to say what you want, but I want to add to it, because we talk about the trade policies with China. Let me toss in what's going on in Hong Kong these days. Mm. Right. All the protests, exactly. a lot of pressure on the president to stand behind the protesters, stand up for democracy, so to speak. Right. He ultimately did. Yeah. Um, took him quite a while. It looks like you're not, yeah, yeah I don't know how, how full-hearted yeah. that was. <laughs> but, but it goes to what Mike's point, which is, this isn't so much an economic game as it is a political well, and game. And it is a political. And what it, it kind of goes back to sort of messaging. You're saying the people who are most hurt are farmers, and yet they still support him. One of the things that Donald Trump has done very effectively, he did it in this election, and he still continues to do it, is he has an incredible way of saying to the Americans, American people, I care about you. I am fighting for you. And I think we cannot underestimate how resonant that message is. And he has a knack of saying that. And when you hear it in contrast to Democrats who are saying, I'm taking this away, we're converting to this, you're going to have to lose your job, you may have to go this, this is why you're going to want Medicare for all, and things like that. When they hear that on the other side, even if what he's doing might hurt someone, he's saying, I'm doing it because I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for America. And that is the political component that I don't think we can underestimate how important yeah, that Philip, is. Yeah, Philip, I wanted to come to you on that because I don't call it charisma, call it what you want, but man, he has a control over the people who believe in him. Yeah, I think, there, I think he appeals to a, a particular psychology that is probably from another era in our history, actually, that has no accountability, that is sort of open and I can say what I want. And the one thing that, and somebody laughed at me when I told mm. them this, I said, 20 years from now, when historians typically will evaluate the effectiveness of a president, this president might be the one remembered for advancing race relations, for example, more than any other president, just because he's so free in what he says and his support for, I don't know, white nationalists. There's good people on the side in that Charlottesville. Really That's right? not what he meant. He actually never said that. Had so, to do with again, the, it had to do with the statues. It had nothing yeah. Because it puts the issue out sort of front and center so we can talk about it. 
Hmm. We can have the conversation. I thought, I thought maybe the it's not the, intentional. Don't don't get me wrong. He's not smart enough to do that intentionally. Employment, the best employment rate, the the increase in wages, and not only the African American but la, la, Latino communities, and the economic progress. I think, in some ways, that's that's part of his legacy in terms of bridging. He may end up getting more support from those communities than any other Republican president. Mike, is he a... Look, there's a rise of conservatism going on around the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. England, yeah. pick your country, and you're seeing it. Is Donald Trump a symptom? Is he an impetus of that? Boy, I think he's a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, I really do. And I, I thought for a second, Philip, you were going to go on down the road of deplorables. I mean, talking about people from another era... That oh, we think no. a certain way. I'm, 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 no. I'm pleased that you did not, no. because you know I got tired of being called a deplorable and all the other right. things. Don't and, love us to decide yeah. what period of history yeah. he was talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I in Wild West. Okay. But uh, but Brexit. I'm, I I think Brexit could have occurred without Trump, yeah. but the fact that it occurred and has stayed front and center, and now we have Bojo, is that what they call him, Boris Johnson, who's going to get it through? It's going to, it's going to happen because Theresa May wasn't strong well, enough. Look at to his get a, near landslide. That's picture. correct. Right. Of course, he was running against an anti-Semite who was a despicable human being. Speaking, on, would you say deplorable? Uh, he was the, uh, even yeah. him. Yes, individually, <laughs> not a whole group of people. Group. He was the the it's sort some. of British version of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, he. Boris it, didn't win because Boris is great. Boris won because Jeremy Corbyn. Was is so the bad. exact wrong yeah. person to run a general election but, against. But you have something like uh, Hong Kong. I, I was lucky enough to be there, but many years ago, in the early part uh, of 2001, and uh, I, I wrote, I read a lot because I taught over there on, on economics, and and clearly they have the basic law. They have this promise from the the People's Republic that for the next 50 years, which would take it to 2047, that they are going to be this unique special administrative region, and the and and what. They've sent what the government's trying to do is undo that particular arrangement. And, and people are rising up to say, you cannot do this. And the thing that strikes me is Hong Kong is what the Chinese could be if the Chinese were free. Just amazing how, how, how more powerful the Chinese economy could be if it were a free economy, but the communists refused to give up power. Absolutely. And the people are going to say, the people are saying, and it's mainly young people because it's their future, you are not going to take us to mainland China and put us on uh, kangaroo courts and throw us into jail. You're not going to do it. We have the basic law, and you're going to live up to this. It's good to see that. Before we take a break, I want to at least get one caller in because it's always good to hear them. So we've got Steve from Granson, New Hampshire, coming in. He's listening at WNTK. Steve, go ahead. you got a trade comment. Thanks for taking my call. I, I believe I just started listening about 15 minutes ago, so if I have the name wrong, I apologize. But I think it was Mike Miller that was talking about the politics of trade policy. Yes. And that, and, and I agree. Well, we're on different political spectrums, but I'm actually a free trader, like Good. you're a free trader. All right. And, and there is certainly a problem that you raise. You know, on the political side, the economic side is really devastating. I think because once you lose, once the soybean farmers lose a market, it's not going to be easy to recapture it. But it is hard. the thing that I think that Trump did wrong. If you wanted to apply political pressure, which is a legitimate, I, I agree with that, is that he should have been part of tra- the TPP. Oh, I would agree. Which I, you would have yes. had all of Southeast yes, Asia. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that in 16, I, I, 2016, I just couldn't support him because he was looking at, at trade through some very strange eyes. And, uh, 
And if I could, if I could somehow have him in a room just alone and say, and I know, by the way, uh, Larry Kudlow and some of his other economists have told him this. They said, please, Mr. President, you're doing harm unilaterally here. But he is playing a political game. But uh, no, I, you're you're spot on. And and the problem is that Trump, unfortunately, believes he knows everything. He does. That's correct. (laughs) Obviously, yeah, and it and and his, his ego is such that it doesn't allow for uh, real discussion. Yeah, would, ego would is something... promote that's, his policies. Yeah, ego seems to be something presidents have. I think it was uh, <laughs> Barack Obama said that I'm a better speechwriter than my speechwriters. I'm a better foreign policy person than my policy people. Yeah. And Trump is continuing that kind of uh, hubris. The, more than anybody, Ben, this may be the, the real gut instinct presidency. Yeah, he, he's... he. One thing that he does, especially when he's in these rooms with his big rallies, he he's able to take a... a, a a measure of the crowd, what works, what doesn't. He oh, he, he tries he tries a whole bunch of different lines, and when they hit, then and even some that he doubted, he he recognizes what works and he sticks with it. Um, you know, drain the swamp in 2016, he thought was a stupid idea, and then he tried it and it worked, and he realized, and then he ran with. He it. does have an agility to react, and maybe that's that shows some inconsistencies, yeah. which frustrate people, like in some of his policies. Right, so but, we've got a half an hour to go. Let me invite you all to call at 800-723-8289. We're going to look to the future when we come back. Ooh, the future. I can't believe The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers? Or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm WGN-TV's Paul Lisnick in for Bruce Dumont tonight. It's our year-end review, but this last half hour of the show is going to be a look ahead to 2020 and some of the things that uh, we might be experiencing around this country and around the world. But before we do that, you know, we were talking about um, trade and, and subsidies mm-hmm. in the last break, and, uh, Mike, you kind of clarified uh, exactly how they work, but we, I'd want to take this call because Roger's from Wisconsin. Uh, he's listening on Sirius XM, and uh, you, you have a thought about the Trump uh, uh, the Trump subsidy, uh, tr- farm subsidiaries. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for taking the call. Uh, the reason I'm calling is I see the farm subsidies as a little bit of a social net, uh, safety net for the farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump can't afford to lose the farmer vote. If he does, it could sink him in 2020. <clears throat> However, if Trump wins in 2020, which is likely, I see Trump holding true to his uh, stated agenda that he's going to gut the social program. Mm. So I, I see him using the subsidies to guarantee a buy-in vote, but come 2020, after the election, I see him abandoning the farmers because mm. there's no value 
giving them the subsidies. And the, you guys keep throwing out one key word. And I really, since you have to go there and you have to say it, I'm going to give you the definition. Deplorable is one that is deserving of strong condemnation. There is people on the right and there are people in the left that are deplorable. Not so half of them. Using, not half of them. Not 60 million of them. All right, them. Roger. Well, not 30 million of them. Roger yeah. clears, that, uh, clears yeah. it up, uh, at least with a definition. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we just use the term. You know, but what I do when I, when I look at, at, at things moving ahead, I do want to ask about some of the international issues as well. That's certainly part of our, our worldview. North Korea. Uh, I mean, oh. Kim Jong-un has... Donald Trump had a love affair with him. He talked about that. Uh, uh, Republicans have stood behind his trying, even Democrats have stood behind him trying to sort of make an effort there. But of course, it seems pretty clear. Uh, and even John Bolton has said in recent days, they ain't doing nothing. Uh, this is just the same bridge they keep selling over and over again to administrations. And uh, But, you know, will people care, Ben, about the North Korea issue and, and the fact, and by the way, there was supposed to be a Christmas surprise. The president said it might be a new vase. I don't think he got a vase. Yeah, I... I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about a gift exchange, but uh, but I I, I, I think that people I, I know that most American voters, most American voters don't uh, don't focus as much on foreign policy as they do on domestic policy. Uh, this was an issue that was uh, important when again, when when Trump and the administration were focusing on in that direction, they haven't been as much anymore. I think there's a lot of coverage about how little there has been to show for for this. But for, I think for a lot of people, they're not necessarily surprised, and for other people, they haven't been paying attention to it anyway because it doesn't really feel close to home. So uh, how much does it affect the upcoming election, for instance? I don't imagine that it does yeah, that's very really much. Stephanie, I want to ask you, under President Obama, when he had uh, interactions with Cuba uh, and he had interactions with Iran, Republicans went nuts over this stuff. How do you yeah. talk to these dictators? But in his efforts with Putin and Kim Jong-un and Erdogan of well, Turkey, I it think, all seems to be okay. Um, well, I think especially a little bit with Cuba, but more so with Iran, the real trouble was the concessions that were made. I mean, that Iran deal... Um, Right now, we don't see Trump making concessions. We haven't given anything. If anything, we've upped sanctions with North Korea. The, 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 the frustration with working with our enemies, so to speak, is when we give away things to them. And that's where the real frustration with Obama came in. I think that's a, I think that's exactly. a great point. I just uh, I, I might push back a little bit that giving something away isn't just uh, economic, right? What... Right. what uh, what the leaders of North Korea wanted more than anything else was to be legitimized on the world stage. Right. And to so be seen with, yes. And to be seen on that stage and to have those face-to-face -face meetings. And so what they were giving up is is the is that, right? Is, is that authority and that I, I that, think, though, what's interesting on that is that it, mm -hmm. that only goes so far in North Korea. Hmm. Um, that, that those pictures, those photo ops, nobody else in the world would take seriously, you know, Kim Jong-un, even if he's standing next to Donald Trump. In fact, you know, you would argue that a lot of people don't take Donald Trump seriously. So it wouldn't necessarily legitimize him. Um, I think what's really frustrating is, you know, uh, we felt like we gave up a lot of things even with Cuba. We sort of are oh, yeah. now willing to look away. Um, and we got nothing for it. Nothing. And Iran, um, and that we can talk about whether that could be a major achievement, is the unraveling of that nuclear agreement with Iran. But 
you know, giving pallets of cash um, and, and allowing Iranians to continue for a foreseeable future of developing non-weapons grade, um, nobody bought that one. They felt I, like we, we gave them the store. I want to respond to Iran, no, so let me bring you to the Middle East. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things the president has said, we have thousands of years, but we've been waiting for peace in the Middle East. Jared <laughs> right. Kushner is to, eventually going to make this happen, uh, from what I understand. But but let me ask you, with the steps the United States has taken, Jerusalem being recognized, mm -hmm. the Gaza, uh, uh, the Golan Heights. Uh, Golan Heights. Yeah. Well, uh, the, all, all that's going to be okay. My question is, does the United States have the credibility anymore to broker peace in the Middle East? Oh, wow. I'm not sure anybody does. I, I, I've, I'm neither Jewish nor Arab nor Israeli, but I've, picked, I've chosen a side. And only one side wants peace. The other side wants to destroy the other side. The Palestinians want to destroy the state of Israel. And until that is taken care of, I don't know that there's a solution to this at all. Jerusalem was the right decision. I mean, it's, it, it is the, the headquarters of, uh, and a country has the right to choose where its uh, capital city is. Um, so I, and, and you look at, if I could just one second back on uh, Kim Jong-un, I hope that this would never occur. But if someday it gets to the point where he becomes so belligerent we have to go to war, we can at least say we bent over backwards to talk to you, to try to bring you into the nation, the world of nations, and you absolutely kicked us, you know, kicked sand in our face, and now we're going to have to destroy you. Is this Neville Chamberlain, 1938? We appeased you? Hold on. No, no we didn't this appease is, this them. Is, we this talked is, to them. What are this you talking guy about? We haven't given him anything. This is a guy I didn't say anything that about we're getting played time. by. He's got one audience. Kim Jong-un has one audience. It doesn't matter to the rest the of the world. military to keep him from being overthrown. He's, yeah. he's got one audience. And so him being on the public stage for that one audience is enough. But that we are inconsistent may, in our policy with a country that has nuclear weapons and a country that doesn't have nuclear weapons is disturbing to me. And then our inconsistency in the Middle East, more generally abandoning the Kurds and ceding parts of Syria to Turkey and their security zone or whatever, and now making the Iranians more more powerful in that part of the world. That was on us. And that was a stupid move by this president. Uh, well, but then, we'll you know, see. we can, we can fast forward we'll to see. Iran and that might, that might be the place to watch. We are now seeing, and maybe it's the effect of sanctions and, and yeah, their back economy the is collapsing. Their economy is collapsing and there is real unrest. I got a question for real you, Mike. You're the economist. In the political science literature that I've read over the years, Economic sanctions have never brought down a government. No, they have. not that I know of either. I've not seen Because right. authoritarian regimes, who are the only object of said sanctions, are going to be able to control the economy and skim off the top whatever yeah. they need to stay in power. So that the economy is collapsing mm. and my, my like partner's parents call Iran yep. and can't talk on the phone right. because the phones are... It's an authoritarian regime. Look so Venezuela. we know how yeah. bad that is. But, you, yeah, you, but the regime is still in power. I know. I, and if you go back and... <laughs> they the, control the, the military as well. And that's key. I mean, Venezuela yeah. is a perfect example of that. Let's, let's bring in... We have a caller, uh, Mark, from Carmel, California, who uh, has a positive view from what I'm reading uh, about the president's being able to control the nations of the world. Hi, Mark. Hey, uh, good evening, Bruce, and thanks for the end of the year show. Or I'm sorry, 
I called you Bruce. Um, yeah. listen, Bruce probably I, appreciates it. <laughs> well, no, his, your voice actually kind of sounds similar to his in cadence and what have you. That's incredible. Hey, so, so listen, uh, my, my idea about President Trump, and I will call him President Trump forever, and I think he's going to go down in history 20 years from now as perhaps the greatest president we've had since Reagan. But he's P.T. Barnum-esque. Okay, this guy comes around once a, a decade and once a century, a P.T. Barnum. And he really is with – he busted his chops with the, the WWF. He learned the media. He learned how to do business. He met more foreign world leaders during his business tenure than, than all of our presidents combined. This guy is a player, and he's played the media masterfully. He's played uh, the foreign leaders masterfully. And some of the things he's done, we all don't agree with, but I'm thinking we're looking at the short term. I'm looking to see what he does in the next four years after re-election, because, frankly, what he's done under three years of extreme duress has been, frankly, amazing. All right, Mark, I want to thank for the comment. Let me, uh, Ben, let me come to you, because if he's re-elected for four more years and the Supreme Court, going back to what we talked about in the first hour, uh, stands behind him in so many things he wants— mm -hmm. This is a president who essentially has, has granted to the executive branch power like the country has never seen, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, the, the two Supreme Court justices that have been added in his, in, during his term, right, uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, are, are, are very, are, have shown pretty consistent support for increased executive power and authority. And, and so uh, that may continue uh, if, you know, if he's reelected, there are likely to be more Supreme Court vacancies in the next four years. So uh, every time Ruth Bader Ginsburg sneezes, the Democratic yes, Party yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. takes a deep breath and every, says, please be okay. And, and Mitch McConnell will hold hearings if it happens within oh, a year. He, absolutely, he will. he will. Oh, absolutely. It's because so much fun. He, he says he would. All right, yeah, when because we come, he's, there's the, two, he's the one who's the two player. Two sets of right rules. Exactly. When we come back, it's our final segment. Uh, these four guests will help me look ahead to what next year 2020 looks like. We hope you'll join us. This is Beyond the Beltway. Stick with us. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga. Let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at GoodmanTheater.org. Welcome back for our final segment of Beyond the Beltway. Paul Lisnick from WGN-TV here in Chicago in for Bruce Dumont with a great panel. I want to use these last few moments to look ahead as to what 2020 might hold uh, for us. Um, but I, there is something. We didn't really talk about climate change, so just I want to bring this up because I was curious, uh, Stephanie, your response when um, Time named Greta Thunberg the person of the year and her, her world's right. about climate change. I don't know that you know how much people out in Democrats are going to care about climate change in this new election. But I was curious what your reaction was when the president I told her to 
to chill out and go see a movie with friends. Oh, well, you know, I, I feel like it's it's beneath the president. He should not be talking about it. She's a young 16-year-old, whatever. He was being, you know, flip. I don't think that's appropriate. But when you look at Time Magazine making making someone like this the person of the year, I think it really shows a disconnect between what Time Magazine thinks about the world and what most Americans think about the world. And is I think that a comment it, about climate change? Right. And I think that when you look at you know the, the kitchen table issues, the things that people care about, climate change is not one of them. So to have that represent the issue of the year, so to speak, was a very much a disconnect. So, and Ben, I want to come to you on that because essentially, as the Democrats, you know, we go through the primary, the, the Democrats will, will you know, lean towards progressive. That's what happens as Republicans yeah. lead towards conservatives. Then you have the general, right? right. But if Democrats focus in on climate change and the Green New Deal mm-hmm. uh, and those kind of things, there's a lot of people, if, I, if, if, if a Republican is observing this, they're going, yeah, Democrats just keep doing it because we're mm-hmm. going to win 48 states. Yep. I, uh, I disagree. I, I think that, I think that um, whether it's a Democratic strategy or a Republican strategy, it's a forward-thinking strategy. And I think that, that Trump, Trump, if we, we you know, obviously coming back to him, but he, he's done a very good job of bringing back this, you know, make America great again, this idea of the past. The idea of talking about climate change and what is happening now is the most important issue to my students across the board, regardless of their ideolo- okay. ideology. Young people, they're looking forward. And if you're t- and if you're going to talk about Steph- Stephanie mentioned that it's maybe not the the leading issue, it is the leading issue around the world, and the United States has been lagging on that. So that might actually be an indicator of what Time Magazine sees as the United States eventually coming around to, and young people, regardless of, of partisanship, supporting this more and more, and older people as well. It's, 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 well uh, I've got yeah. to go to the teachers here. And let me, Mike, do young people vote? Uh, not in very big numbers that I know of. Uh, it, biggest it, jump in... It depends. Yeah. It depends on the election. Is, is there a, a, a longitudinal sort of trend that shows that they tend to turn out at a particular level? That's that's higher than the average. No, no. But there's spikes in in elections, and, the and biggest, that's the thing. And the biggest spike in young voting um, happened in this this last midterm, and so young people are paying attention. But uh, Greta, what really she she unfortunately wrote an editorial with several other people, and she showed her true colors. What she cares about is colonization, racial politics. This is not about the climate. This is about pulling down Western the Western economy. This is creating it is to create a communal system where we're a one world government, where we are all going to be together and we're all going to have planned economies. It is going to destroy the exact growth that energy has allowed us well, to have. It's going to it's it's, 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 it's taking religious. away individual and personal freedom. I mean, that's one thing that sets our country apart from any other in the world. Um, so and, are, and, and are you denying is, the science? That, yeah. uh, I am. I'm not going to talk about the science right now. Because <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> okay. No, I'm just asking the question. Are you denying the science? I am not a scientist. And to be Do honest, you expect- I am not convinced by, that the science is there. But However, it, uh, I, I want to make the one point, and that is Ben made the point that this is an issue the world cares about. No, it is not. It is an issue that wealthy European luxury – nations right. with luxury care about. That's right. India, Asia, the largest – Countries in the world do not care about this. They, they, and now they may also be our largest polluters. However, and you know what? We don't lag behind. We lead the world. Which is why we got our, out of the Paris Accord. The only country. Our environmentalism yeah. and so on. When you look at the amount of manufacturing and stuff that we do. And the point is, 
the world is about people surviving. And I, I you agree. are not, not going to survive if you can't find tent. a way to make food or to build a life for yourself or to create goods that you can sell. And if someone tells you you can't do that because somehow in some way that's going to pollute the world, that's not going to work. When you look at the people in Asia and India, they are looking to survive. They are looking to live. They want better lives from themselves. Guess what? Fossil fuels do it. So and I, you can't I, take that away. With a couple of minutes left, I do want to uh, talk about sustainability when it comes to Beyond the Beltway, uh, if I can. <laughs> that for a transition. Well done. Uh, yes. Uh, I want to remind you that Bruce has a GoFundMe campaign going on. It covers the cost of actually keeping this this satellite delivery on the air. Uh, that's what's so important in 2020. Your help is really needed. If you go to the GoFundMe page, uh, those of you watching this uh, online, for example, can see the page there. Look up Beyond the Beltway. You can make your donation. Uh, Bruce appreciates every donation that comes in. We want to keep things moving for this program, keep it on the air. Um, I can tell you that we're looking to, to bring in, uh, Bruce is looking to bring in another $3,000 or so. Uh, it, it's expensive to, to have satellite time go, so your help is appreciated, uh, and thank you. And that was my transition. But with the time we have left, I do want to walk around the table and Ben and basically say the one thing in 2020 that you think Republicans or Democrats should be concerned about or people should be concerned about, what is your eye on in 2020? Oh, man, that's such a huge question. Um, and 30 seconds to answer it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I, I think that they should be uh, paying attention to um, the quality of the information that they receive, um, trying to find out what's what's actually going on, having a, a, a couple trustworthy um, places for good information, and then being able to uh, get involved All right. in, in the issues they care about. Philip. I'm concerned about Russian interference in our elections. They're not going to stop. And the, I think Putin has succeeded beyond his wildest imaginings in helping foster division in this country through the interference that, that started before 2016, but really highlighted. Stephanie. I think um, we should pay attention to uh, loving and being kind to our neighbors. We are seeing a, ra a rash rise of horrific crimes against people based on their religion, their beliefs, whatever. And to steal a line from Ellen DeGeneres, she had it right, that at the end of the day, we're people. We need to be kind to each other. Mike? If I could only wish for one thing, and that media does some uh, soul searching and goes back to journalism as opposed to political uh, boosterism. All right. And that's our great. look back at 2019, our look ahead at 2020. I want to give my thanks, first of all, to Bruce for letting me sit in this chair tonight. It was a great show to be able to do that with good friends and panelists joining me. Uh, my thanks as well to Andrew Marshall, uh, who is the producer of tonight's show, and Fritz Goldman, who is the director of tonight's show. A lot of people behind the scenes you don't get to see that make this happen. I'm Paul Listening. Thanks for watching Beyond the Beltway. Happy New Year, everybody. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned 
I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans. See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions, don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 